If someone you know who's very close just took their life, don't distract yourself with inflammatory food, people, or media. You know, social media is the worst place to be after a very traumatic experience. You know, when, when people die, what do you think happens? What do you think they got? You know, I think that all of life is just energy. Just one thing transforming into the next. To have reverence for who the being was. Not the body, but the being. Welcome, my friends, to How to Deal with Suicide. Today, we're going to talk about the pain, the suffering, the healing, learning to understand what life and death is. For those that have been following the series, I think this is part six or part seven, but this is the seventh anniversary of my best friend and brother in the journey, Matthew Burnside, who took his life on January 16, 2016. So what I've largely been doing is every single anniversary, I go and see his parents and I sit down with them to understand how they've been processing his death, you know, their psychological trauma, informing myself, preparing myself, being a part of a community and passing those lessons on to you in terms of understanding what it means to be a human being in this world. And so we get into a lot of deep philosophy, but before we do, I do want to begin with a brief synopsis for those of you that have not seen the previous six or seven parts. Yes, on the night just passing seven years ago, Matthew decided to end his life by ingesting a toxic substance. After what was considered a long battle with schizophrenia and approximate schizophrenia, the doctors never truly nailed down. But what Matthew described as a inability to be himself feeling as though he was a bird trapped in a cage, wings clipped, and he just couldn't be the person that he wanted to be. And actually he had been considering ending his life for a good year and a half or so. It was, it was a solid three-year battle with this process. And, you know, Matthew, as I was discussing with his parents just yesterday as I went to sit down with them, as I always do, you know, Matt was an extremely strong-willed person. And that if even it took him, the best of him, to decide that I couldn't get through this, it must have something been, been something truly traumatic. So I have all the respect and I have all the respect for Matthew's decision always. So let's, if that you understand that situation now, and let's get into the parent conversation. So as I said, every year I sit down with his parents, mostly because after the funeral process, it just didn't feel right. You know, even though I didn't have a really close relationship with Matt's parents, it didn't feel right to just let this be as in, so, someone has to go over there and say something like surely because from my point of view if I was the parent in that position I would love for my deceased child's friends to come and check in on me so it was really just an empathy point for myself no judgment no reflection on anyone else it's just something that I feel that I had to do for myself and it proved to be one of the greatest educations of my entire life it's an education that you could not pay for not that you would ever ask for it but it's an education that you could not pay for which was sitting down for hours at a time over the last seven years a lot of our conversations with the parents would last just me with them lasting three hours or so and the tears the sifting through the memories the regrets the resentment the pain and i've often described the pain as a mile long wound and every year maybe just a little extra few few extra stitches get added to that wound and i update you guys on how the parents are dealing with it every year and what i'll say is that there was something something quite pivotal that occurred in my conversation with Matt's father and mother yesterday, which was that it felt like there had been a plateau reached. So last year, I remember saying that it felt like there was a little bit more light. There was finally, actually, a little bit more light, a little bit more joy that they could look at the experience and not see only darkness. But it felt like this time they had reached that plateau and that this is where they're going to stay. And it was encapsulated by a very telling quote from his father in which that something I'd never heard from his father before, which he said, I'm not sure if you can heal, but you just learn to live with it. 
he repeated this two to three times in a very similar light in which that I'm not sure if it's healing. I'm not sure if I can heal, but you just learn to live with it. And I asked him what he meant by learning to live with it. He said, well, you just go about your day and as he started to, is, is the typical response from Matthew's father is that every line leads to self-lashing. It leads to a self-resentment of some kind, a inability to be the father that he should have been, an inability to have cared the way that he should have and just not having you know, done enough. And so when I ask him, what do you mean? Like, I mean, what do you have to live with it every day? It always comes back to, as he starts to answer that question, he doesn't really give me a proper answer. It kind of just comes back to, you know, you, just, you think about the things that you could have done. And like, even though it's completely a side tangent from, doesn't, it's not really relevant to the question. It always comes back to this. That is the coping mechanism, if you will, that his father seems to have developed, which is that the only way that maybe, and that's interesting that I bring that up because maybe that is his way of learning to live with it. Because he, whether he would say this consciously or not, it appears through his behavior and his psychological breakdown and analysis of the situation in which that he feels that he's at blame. So his way of, I guess, paying that debt, if you will, is to constantly remind himself of how to be a better person, how he could have been a better person, even though, of course, you can see the pathway to pain that that leads to. Uh, he'll never be at peace. He'll never find healing if he cannot allow forgiveness for himself, for the whole situation. You know, the forgiveness that we all must offer ourselves in a situation that we have no control over. Matt made his decision and nothing else was, nothing else was going to change that, nothing else was going to stop that. Now, putting that to the side, so I will, actually I'll come back to that in a second, but just contrasting off of his mother, his mother was the one to cry far more in today's last night's conversation. Normally it's his father that breaks down crying just uncontrollably, unexplainably, a lot of just random triggers he will start crying about. And I'm talking about like deep, painful weeping. But it was his mother actually that let out most of the tears this time. And it's normally his mom that is the more emotionally well-balanced which I found very interesting because she doesn't seem to have reached the same place that Matt's father has. She seems to be at the position where she's still open to healing. I asked them a particular question because none of this really, if I just let them run, it doesn't really center on positivity or love, peace and joy. It always goes to the darkness. So I, have, I do my best to steer the conversation or at least add that element to the conversation. And so I said to her, you know, around this time of year, I always played the tribute video that I made for Matt. And for those that haven't seen that video, I'm going to enter that into the podcast right now so that you guys can watch that. I'll be back with you. This one's for you, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. There's nothing but the moment, so there's nothing to love but right now. So take advantage of what you're doing right now. So you've just heard or seen the tribute video and I was, that's what I was referring to with Matt's mom that I said, you know, I played that video uh, every single year and I put it up on my social media as a tribute to Matt and it just reminds me of the great times, reminds me of the good times, the best times of Matt, particularly that quote of when he said, 
you know, there's nothing but the moment. So there is nothing to love but right now. And that stayed with me every single day. And so I said this to her and I said, does this time of year, do you ever focus on the, the good times or the great times you had with him? And you can see like a bit of a system error occur in her mind because that's just not the way that they think. And it kind of took her a while to answer that question, but eventually she conjures up that actually she finds that she feels sadder by focusing on the good times, on the great times. And that in and of itself is very sad. So she chooses to, if they do focus on anything, if they do talk on anything, it's just, I guess, the, the pain of it all. You know, and when you're in this conversation, for those of you that will one day go through this yourselves, whether one of your best friends chooses to end their life and you have to, well, not you have to, but you decide that as a result of maybe listening to this podcast, I would like to have the courage to go and speak with the parents and to be a support system for them, to be an emotional vessel and a rock for them as the one I'm sitting upon now then please note that when this is happening, my role is not to interject, to change, uh, to morph what their perception is. You know, I pose the question and I let them take it where they will. You know, they're holding deep eye contact, deep energy, sitting very present, maintaining my light, maintaining my light. It's quite interesting being faced with very intense pain and you're not feeling it yourself. There is a barrier you have to erect, but it's a barrier of light. It's a reflective barrier of light in which that, as long as you maintain your peace and you maintain that inner, you know, that love that you have and your reverence for life itself and how much empathy and love you have for these people in front of you, that is a barrier that protects you from the pain outside of yourself, but also reflects it. So it does, or I should say, projects it. It projects it outwards. And I do believe that the strongest frame wins. I do believe at the end that the stronger the light will win, or the stronger the energy will win. In a battle between light and dark, strongest frame wins. And so if my light is just a little bit stronger than the darkness, they will eventually come around. And that's what I find in these conversations. These conversations always end better than they started. Not that they end poor, uh, start poorly, but they always end better than they start, which means that there's always much more love in their hearts by the end of it. There's always way more light in their eyes by the end of it. And it's because I've been willing to not falter on my own energy, I've been willing to sit there with them, give them all the space, give them all the time to unpack who they are, what their beliefs are. You know, it's a really important thing to do in this life, to cultivate the presence and the ability to be present, to be there in the moment with someone, and just to absorb. Absorb without diminishing. Absorb without diminishing your core state, your core nature as a human being. But you're just there. It's just... It's really fundamental. I wish all of you have the opportunity to go through this. And it's a double-edged sword because I also wish that it never happens at the same time. You know. So, moving on. Summarizing there, his mother can't seem, can't, doesn't want to focus on the good times because apparently that brings more sadness. And I can understand that. I can definitely understand that. While I don't think it's a healthy process to go through, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. I understand it. Yeah. His father asked me one of the reoccurring questions that he always asks. He always asks across, if you go back through every single podcast, and for those that have been following this for the last seven years, every single podcast, I always talk about the questions that his father asks me, or oh, the questions that I'll ask him as well. But there's two questions that he always asks me. One is to do with time, and one is to do with the actual nature of life and death itself. So let's start with the nature of life and death itself. Every single year, Matt's father asks me, what, what, are, what are your ideas on what happens after life? You know, when, when people die, what do you think happens? Where do you think they go? 
And it was often very, very emotional in the first few years, as in he was asking me from a point of save me. It's like, give me something, give me something to hold on to, just to make me feel as if Matt's gone to a better place. I could feel that he was asking that question from that position. Not this year, though. This year, I felt that he was asking the question from a standpoint of, because he's effectively locked his emotions away. When I said before that he hit that plateau and that he was conveying the message of, you know, I don't think I can heal. It's just about learning to live with it. It was very emotionless. And like I said, he didn't cry once throughout this entire conversation, which is very unusual. It's the complete opposite of what I've known. And then when he asked me the same question about what do you think happens after death? You know, what goes on? Do they go on? It didn't come from that save point. It didn't come from a save me point. It came from just a very analytical, very logical position. And I thought that was very reflective of his overall energetic space and arena in which that he seems to have locked himself off from the emotions of the experience. He seems to have gone to the avoidance end of the scale, the ice turtle end of the scale now, rather than the over-emotional, anxiously firebird, fire-lusting firebird end of the other scale, which is trying to dig into the emotions of it all. But he's very much trying to kind of put it, put it away, put it in a box now. And in the analogy of the mile-long wound, it feels as if the wound has not been healed. It certainly has not been unable to heal to scar over. But as though that he is resigned to a life of dressing, that just every single day he will just dress the wound again. The wound will continue to bleed and seep out pain, but he will walk the rest of his days dressing it every single day, new bandages every single day. You know, that's, that's genuinely my, my, my perspective on it. That's what it feels like anyway. So, so getting back to this question of the life and death, I said to him, when he said to me, Adam, what do you think happens after death? What do you think Matt's gone type thing? And I say, you know, I think that all of life is just energy. Just one thing transforming into the next. And so Matthew may be reincarnated into a tree. He may be a new baby born. I don't know. I surely don't know. And his mother quips in saying, oh, nobody knows. Nobody knows. And I say, yes, nobody knows. And I surely do not know. But one thing I do know is that, as Matt taught me, there's only right now. Death comes for all of us. And so does life. And there you find your, there you find your meaning. There you find meaning in life when you realize that it comes for all of us. None of us are excluded from that process. And so we can all have, and we all have the opportunity, no matter what trauma we've been through in our lives, to take a beautiful standpoint, to realize the beautiful truth of now, which is that that's all there is. So if we recognize that energy and life, one and the same, that's all it is, transforming one thing into the next, then you can walk about your days and your child can take their life. Your, your niece can hang herself and her 14-year-old daughter walks in after school to find her hanging, you hanging the, you can have your barber's best friend's friend hang himself in his apartment and his friend been knocking on the door for a month not realizing that his friend was hanging up in the bathroom. You know, you can go through all these traumatic experiences and come to realize that we only have now. And sometimes the suffering, the suffering of human beings becomes too great, which is why I always have extreme respect for anyone who's willing to end their own life. While that is not to be confused with me encouraging the process, 
but extreme respect. That if you have deemed that this life is far too painful for you to live, who is anyone else to tell you that you're wrong? Who is anyone else to decide that for you? Now, based on my own personal beliefs, I like to take a standpoint that we live on an eternal thread. That we as human beings live on an eternal thread in this life. That we are here to learn lessons. And that if we don't learn them in this life, then we'll surely be destined to learn in the next. Or the next, or the next after. Until you learn that lesson. It may not even be in human form. But this karmic thread, this eternal thread of, I'm here now. Whatever challenges are presented, they are here for a reason. I don't know what reason that is. But maybe it's because I did something in the previous life. Maybe if... It seems that the hardest thing for me to understand right now is empathy and I can't seem to see myself in other people and I can't seem to have this wide spectrum, deep, broad love for everyone that's involved in this particular reality. If I can't seem to manifest that, but maybe that's my lesson. Maybe that's my lesson. If, I'm, if I struggle with maintaining control on my psychological discipline, right, if I find myself addicted, right, addicted, falling into addictions, maybe it's because I ignored my pain in the past and I need to resolve whatever that pain may be. And so... I've taken many, many examples here. If you're a female listening to this and you find yourself constantly with uh, men that treat you poorly, maybe there's a lesson there for you. Why is it that you keep enabling this behavior if you're a man listening to this and you keep finding yourself with women that take advantage of you, women that just use you for your money, women that will just use you for your resources and treat you like trash, cheat on you and dump you out the next second, you know, on Monday morning when the garbage band comes by. What lesson do you have to learn there? What is it about your self-worth that you've disconnected from? If you're a person that just looks at another human being, and there are many human beings down here. I'm here at the beach down south in South Australia, Port Wollonga. There are many human beings here. And I look at this human being. I look at this man with his gym towel doing his walk in the sun. I look at this woman in her bikini. I look at this family over here and I say, they are not others. They are beautiful manifestations that are one and the same with myself. We exist as one and the same. <laughs> so surely they deserve the same love, peace, and joy that I do. Surely it is my lesson now to look at her, to look at him, to look at them and say, we're all one. You know, I am me. I am no one. I am everyone. And breathe. And that seems like a perfect time right now, my friends, as we've been doing these podcasts, just to take a moment to breathe. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a four second inhale, as deep as you can, into your balls, into your eggs, deep into your diaphragm. You're going to hold it for seven seconds. You're going to release it slowly over eight seconds and then allow the silence to fill you know, don't breathe in immediately sit in the silence sit in the space and breathe when you feel ready here we're going to go in three two one inhale four seconds and hold and release over eight Let it sit empty. Breathe when you are ready. <sighs> Sigh it out. Sigh it out. Okay, my friends, I'm just going to take a quick break just to check on the lighting here because the sun is coming over the rocks. But I'll be back in one second. All right, my friends, we're back. The sun is coming over the rocks. There's nothing I can do about that. So things might get a little bit hot on the camera soon, but that's okay. We'll keep rolling here. So we took that deep breath. I think the reason why I took, that, took you through that deep breath is to remind yourself of what it means to be one, what it means to join the endless thread of humanity, of life itself, of existence, right? seeing yourself in all things. I think that is a pathway to healing. And that is the pathway to healing for Matt's parents. 
And if you want to understand the pathway to healing for myself, you know, I was talking with my girlfriend afterwards. Uh, we were walking through Zara uh, directly after this conversation with Matt's parents. And I'll get back to that in a second, how it finished. But I was talking to her about all these things. And she said, but Adam, the way that you've gone through this process has the, literally been the polar opposite of his parents. It's like you've gone through it appreciating the beauty of who Matt was and you found the healing and you found the light within it. It's like surely that that's available to them as well. I said, absolutely, absolutely. It is there for them as it is for everyone. And the way that I came about my process of healing was in no short part informed by Lao Tzu's The Tao Te Ching, yeah, written two and a half thousand years ago. One particular quote or one particular passage in which that you learn to see yourself in all things and that you realize that Matt was not his body. That was something eternally divine, something that I'm very much a part of, something that lives on within me. And while Matt's physical form may not live on within me, but a piece of his essence, a piece of his spiritual divinity is deeply sown within my fiber. And every single one of you that meets me meets Matt. You meet a little piece of him. Yeah, that's the way I, I choose to view it. Whether it's literally false, but metaphorically true, I, I think it's beneficial, no less. Beneficial, no less, to take a standpoint of realizing that these beings that touch your lives, while their physical presence may not be here, may no longer be here, a piece of them will always live inside. A piece of them will always live on inside of you. And so... As I've said in every single other episode, the week later when Matt's funeral came about, there were many, many people in that funeral house and there was only two of them that were dry-eyed. That was me and my other great friend, Jordan, who was also very, very good friends with Matthew. And we had, we had had our time down on the beach. We had had our time on down on the beach in the nights prior to have our conversations with Matt and to have our conversations with the universe to make peace with his decision and to realize that you know, this is one beautiful, beautiful game we're all involved in and we call it life. And so let's see the celebration in it. Let's see the beauty in it all and the truth of it. And so when it came to that time for the funeral a week later, you know, everyone was beside themselves, distraught, as is understandable, particularly his family. But Jordan and I had nothing but calm souls, calm spirits, calm at peace. As open as the sky above me, we found our peace. No resentment, no pain, nothing more, nothing less. Just the moment at hand. Whew. So that was the process that I went through. And if for those of you that have followed the, my podcast in general, you would know that my father passed away um, mid last year, May 20th. And I applied the exact same principles that I used to process Matt's death in 2016 as I was fortunate enough to come across in 2021, uh, sorry, 2022, man, time flies, 2022, when my father passed away. And you know, I just, I look at that now and go, thank you. I've always said that death is a gift as much as life is. Matt's death informed me and prepared me to handle my father's death and to pass on the lessons of that. And I did a whole podcast on how to process your father's death. Check it out if you would like. It's just one lesson to the next. And if you can see traumatic experiences or experiences that hold pain, hold trauma, that you needn't live in it. You needn't stay within it. Right? Your self-connection is always there. Your breath is always there. The truth of who you are, breathing deeply into who you are, it's always there. 
It's always there, whether you choose to see it or not. Right? That is your work to do. That is your process. And that is your duty. So do it honorably. Do it honorably and don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself approaching this process either. Lean on other people. You know, I, I certainly didn't get to this place and get to being this way on my own. I'm just checking the rocks here. I didn't get to being this way on my own. I was helped by many other giants. I stood upon many shoulders of many giants, many mentors, whether in person or by via book or via YouTube video. Right? People that had tremendous effect on me, that helped me to perceive life in a totally different way. And then as a result of receiving their information, I went and processed it myself, packaged it myself, unpackaged it myself in order to form my own package. I took what was useful, discarded what wasn't, and made uniquely what was my own, as Bruce Lee once said. That is, that is, that's the process I would encourage for anyone. So there are many ways of processing pain. There are many ways of healing a self-disconnection as a result of trauma or traumatic experiences. Find your own. Find your way through. For me, being down here by the beach and seeing the old man with his little sunflower hat and his corduroy blue t-shirt in an impossibly hot day, I look at him and say, thank you. I feel my heart within him and that is my healing process. And so I didn't want today's session to be particularly long. But when it comes to dealing with suicide, if I put a bullet point on it and a, a, uh, a real summary point on it, when it comes to dealing with suicide, at first, return back to yourself. Do not blame yourself for someone else's suicide. Respect their decision. Honor their decision. Make ceremony for their decision. Every single year I have a ceremony that, I help, that helps me to process and really to have reverence for what Matt's passing was. And last night, I went knee deep into the shallows of the ocean. I kneeled down, I spread my arms out wide and I say a few words. I say a few words up to Matt. I say a few words to the universe. I allow the waves to wash over me, smashing into my abdomen, feeling the wind breezing through my hair, allowing the ocean to hold me. You know, that's my ceremony for Matt. And this ocean has always been a ceremony arena for me, both for my father and Matthew, every single year. So if it come, when it comes to that's a real tactical tip, I would help. I would help. I said to my girlfriend when I got back to hers, uh, after the ceremony, because it's something I do on my own, I said to her, you know, that's what Matt's parents need. What they need is not just one person like myself going over there, but what they need is a whole community of people that they talk with. They need a ceremony themselves. They need a way to remember him and remember the best of him and remember, as I said, or as I keep saying, to have reverence for who the being was. Not the body, but the being. As beautiful as the body was, the being so much more. Ceremony is very important to processing suicide, processing death in general. Yeah. It allows you to let go. It gives you, as a human being, a place to hold your heart, a place to have home and heart. Have people around you. Reach out to people. You know, the shield gets heavy. You don't have to carry yourself all, all the way, all on your own. And if it gets too heavy, take a knee. Take a shoulder. Let someone else help you for a second. That's okay. If, so, if someone you know who's very close just took their life, don't distract yourself with inflammatory food, people, or media. You know, social media is the worst place to be after a very traumatic experience. You know, this is where you need to be, down here at the ocean. Inflammatory foods, things that cause your biological system to be inflamed and to be into a state of shock itself. Eliminate that. You know, eliminate anything and everything that distracts you from feeling what is going on inside of you. Because the sooner that you address the feelings within yourself, the sooner that you will return back to the love, the light, the peace, the joy 
that was always existed within you. Yeah. And that, my friends, is exactly where I'll wrap this up. Uh, while suicide may be an undertalked and an overdarkened subject, right, there is light to be found within all of it. Yeah. Not that I would wish it upon anyone, but I would wish all of you that do come into contact with it, all of that love, all of that love, all of that light. And know that you will become stronger. And as humanity, we move stronger and closer together. As we see our eternal nature within each other. Thank you all so much. Until next year. Sending you all my love, peace, and joy. Ja. Yeah.